Welcome back for our weekly get-together on Soccer City, a close inspection of the soccer in the five boroughs of New York City and its positive impact, especially on our children. Now, I've got two young adults with me today in our Soccer on the Block segment to explain their role in youth leadership and an exciting project for them and the city. But what a weekend it was for Major League Soccer. New York City FC remained undefeated atop the overall standings in MLS Plus, Ibra Kadabra, the thrilling L.A. Galaxy debut for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Taylor Twelman, who was on the call for NYCFC's victory in San Jose for ESPN. He'll be joining me to break down that game and also talk some Ibra. Neil Barnett, he is the foremost authority on the Chelsea Football Club. Uh, he'll be lamenting their latest defeat on Sunday while delving into the history of the club in our global segment. First, it's Soccer on the Block, and I've got a couple of guests in the studio. First, I want to introduce Yasmin Sanchez. Yasmin, how are you? Hi. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank you. you and too. Kwame King. Hey, what's up, man? How are you, Kwame? Kwame? I would like to get both your stories, yeah. you know, what what brought you to this point. Uh, Yasmin, um, let's let's take you first. You, uh, you live in Queens now. Is that where you grew up? Yeah. Um, I pretty much spent my whole life in Queens either in Jamaica or in Astoria. So I can see different parts of the Queens and how the communities are built. So your your upbringing there, you had mentioned to me before we started that you'd moved around a little bit as well. But can you talk a little bit about your experience as, as a young person and uh, how that impacted you, some of the things maybe you saw and, and why maybe that has led to your involvement as a youth leader? I had mentioned before that I lived, I used to live in um, Jamaica so I lived in, in part of Jamaica where it was just like a bad community. I don't even remember how um, the name of it, but it was a bad community. And I ended up moving to a different neighborhood and a different community. And I saw how, how much quiet and more cleaner it was, let's say. It seems unfair how not every community can have the same benefits as another. So I think that led to my youth involvement because... I want to have that same opportunity for all communities in all boroughs throughout Queens, whether it's just like, you know, right next door or, you know, your, your next, um, your corner park or, you know, anywhere that's available to you. And I didn't have that growing up until, like, I got to my teens. Now, when you say bad, the first community that you uh, spent some time in, what does that mean? The kids, I, like, grew up near the projects. The parks were never really a place where kids would go and play. It would always be somewhere you'd try to avoid because there would be, like, groups there. And so the kids never really had a chance to go out and actually play a sport or hang out with their friends. So I think that kind of community was, I would say, bad compared to, like, the community I live in now. Yeah. Kwame, how about yourself? Where did you grow up uh, in this exciting city? And uh, <laughs> but, but what were some of the particulars uh, in your neighborhood? Um, so, well, I was born in Far Rockaway, Queens, and um, I moved to Brooklyn when I was like seven months. So I really didn't get to know Far Rockaway as it, it was in the 90s. But um, I moved to East New York, Brooklyn, and uh, the community over there, you can say um, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't the the best, you know. Um, of course, you could say in Latino or um, African African American communities, we don't get the best uh, things in 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 the community. But I lived a 
I had a good childhood. I wasn't into soccer until I was 17 years old. And the funny thing is uh, I started watching the 2010 World Cup and seeing Landon Donovan uh, score on, I think it's Algeria. Algeria, that's yeah, right. That's yeah. one of the great goals in great the goals history of, of American yes, soccer. Yeah. It was it was wonderful. And, and just getting to see that, it was just like, wow, this is a great sport. And seeing other people and my people with complexions of different races and different countries, it was just a wonderful um, feeling. And so... Um, That's interesting that that World Cup was in South Africa, it was. apartheid, yeah. and now you're uh, you're connecting to the game in, in a Absolutely. country that's really had some difficulties. Difficulties, right, right, with uh, Nelson Mandela being president in 1992. <laughs> but yeah, so it was it was just a great experience, and so like when I got into soccer uh, it, at 17, it was just like, wow, this is a great sport. Uh, Yasmin, how about your soccer involvement? Uh, when did you gain passion for the sport? <laughs> um, it actually basically started in middle school when um, I started going to middle school in Manhattan. And me and my friends after school, we would always pick up a ball and we'd like, hey, let's just play. My friends were more involved in soccer than I was. And so they introduced to me the sport. So every every single day after school in sixth and seventh grade and eighth grade, We'd play soccer for like as long as the sun went down, and so our parents would always call us like, "Hey, where are you?" And we're like, "We're playing soccer. What you mean? Like, I'm not doing anything bad. It's soccer." And you can imagine like this great group of friends, you know, just talking and like interacting about soccer. Was it was it just girls? Or was it girls and boys? I mean, who was playing in these things? I think I was the only girl actually, <laughs> and so I think everybody would trip me and stuff, and I'd be like. Oh. One day I'll get better, but uh, and now I have. <laughs> so, so this is great, and, and so no intimidation, uh, kicking it around with the boys. No, like they were perfectly fine having a girl on the team, and they're like, <laughs> like they were. It was it was as if like I wasn't there, but they were also glad that I was there at the same time. So it was nice learning new skills and interacting with the guys and trying to even up with them to prove myself that I was like you know I'm I'm a girl, but I can still play soccer. Did you notice anything in terms, you said, you said you'd, you'd play after school, you'd play until dark, before you went home. Did you see this as an activity, and could you notice maybe with the other people that you participated with that you, the tendency was that you stayed out of trouble because uh, you were involved in this, uh, exactly, uh, this yeah. uh, after-school activity? Yeah, and that's what, that, it was great that my mom supported me because I'm, she's, she's very supportive of me, and she knows that I won't do anything bad. And she's glad that I'm using my time to at least get active because there was a lot of, it became like that sort of era where people started getting used to, you know, technology and the internet came up and then mobile phones. And she was glad that um, that I had a sport finally that I was interested in. And she she was very supportive of that. And she liked that, um, that at least I was with my brother too because he was there with me, just a year older. And that we finally connected because we didn't get along as brothers and sisters. So with soccer, we it became that connection with everybody as well as staying staying out of trouble together. Yeah. Well, so you've got uh, Kwame, you've got soccer uh, driving passion to eliminate some of these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of other things are addressed here too: uh, health, yeah. uh, gaining confidence as as children, yeah. and and then this leadership aspect. You know, with uh, and and you guys are involved in. Uh, something that's rather impressive. Can you describe, Kwame, this Youth uh, Leadership Council that you and Yasmin are a part of? Yeah, absolutely. It's really like 
young leaders that come from different backgrounds, from the five boroughs, well, four boroughs, we're trying to get Staten Island, use soccer to influence like their communities by tackling social problems in their community. And what is an example of something that the, the council has been able to successfully come up with to get into the community? Um, so we have, so this is so crazy. So we have actually a soccer program that's coming up in the summer um, called Soccer Block. But uh, before that, we had a program that was happening in the summer and we had the five borough tournament. And so it was uh, all the five boroughs from kids from Brooklyn, Queens, Long I mean, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, Bronx, Manhattan. Um, and we brought them all together. They, some kids haven't like left their borough at all and wow. come into a, yeah. a new borough, which was in the Bronx. Um, kids was like, wow, this is so great. This is so wonderful. And we actually had a tournament of kids just playing against each other. So it was like Bronx versus Manhattan and, and Brooklyn versus Queens. And it was just like building a, a, rival, a rivalry, but it was just like out of fun. And so the kids had a, a idea of like, hey, this is New York City. This is where I'm from, from everybody, from different backgrounds and just coming together and just playing soccer. So some kids haven't played soccer ever. And we brought them out there just because they were uh, passionate about it or really focused on trying to get better. Or there were kids that actually played. And so we we mixed them up. And uh, so, yeah, it was a great time. It was a time. City in the community and uh, this Youth Leadership Council, you mentioned soccer block. So what I want to do is on a subsequent episode, really dig into what you're doing there because it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating, it's rewarding, and, and I want to hear all about it. But uh, for now, Yasmin Sanchez, Kwame King, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you, you so much. It was, <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having thank us. You, yeah, thank you so much for having us. On our global segment, we're going to put a focus on the Chelsea Football Club. Uh, we've got the longtime Pitchside Stadium announcer, 25 years. You could call him the ringmaster for the Chelsea Football Club at Stanford Bridge, uh, former editor of the Match Day program, also Chelsea TV, and he's the current host of the football show on Sirius XM FC, Neil Barnett. Neil, how you doing today? Or I, I know it's uh, we're recording this the day after a, a rather a dismal result at Stamford Bridge, but you okay? No, no, it was absolutely catastrophic. And uh, the, I mean, I always say that football isn't loving your club like you love your family or you love your marriage or your football is an addiction. It's an addiction. It's full highs and full slows, and and. They're just extreme, and they're to be indulged in either way. And all I can say is that after yesterday's defeat to Tottenham, the post-mortem in the pub went on and on and on. It was a brilliant post-mortem. And I was delighted to be joined by people from as far, as far away as Napa Valley, as Austin in Texas, as it was, it was all over America. There were a lot of Americans there, um, and it was, it was brilliant. Chicago. But but the start of the match. So uh, Alvaro Morata, who has been certainly the uh, a person that's been discussed often and uh, often in uh, negative terms, he scores the opening goal. It's his first goal in seven matches. There's a great lift of the atmosphere, yet uh, unable to hold on to that. But that's been the story of the season, I suppose. 
Yeah, it was his first goal in seven league matches, but he scored in the last game, the FA Cup at, at Leicester. It was also uh, the story, as you're right, Chelsea took the lead in the League Cup semi-final against Arsenal away and lost 2-1. Uh, took the lead at Old Trafford against Manchester United in the league and lost 2-1. And here took the lead against Tottenham and lost 3-1. Um, uh, inability to manage matches. And this is something that I find intriguing in terms of what's happening in the USA and the way the USA is learning football, learning soccer. Perhaps the last thing that's going to happen is the learning of managing matches. Unfortunately, at a mature club like Chelsea's, it should be the first thing that you're aware of, but it's it's something that's just gone from the current team. What is the explanation from uh, champions a season ago to the uh, most likely scenario now outside looking in of a, of a Champions League berth, uh, that victory by Tottenham uh, on Sunday now puts them eight points clear of Chelsea for the fourth spot in the EPL. Is it as easy as saying they don't have a goal scorer like Diego Costa, which Barada was brought in to replace in essence? It's a series of things that I think is an explanation for how sport has gone and how the game of football particularly has gone in the last few years. There's no doubt that for decades, NFL has been the most lucrative sport for owners in in the world. But now the Premier League matches it. And a lot of owners have come into the Premier League really on the back of Roman Abramovich being the first one at Chelsea and have started looking to invest and to make money out of Premier League football. And at Chelsea now, uh, there is no director of football. Uh, there is nobody in the hierarchy who's got football experience who is making decisions. I, I don't think there's a balance in the squad that says we play football this way, like there is at Manchester City, like there is at Tottenham, like there is at Liverpool. Um, and I don't think that there's the ability in the squad therefore, to manage matches and close out matches when you're in the lead. Last season, you fed the ball into the number 10s, the inside forwards, Hazard and Pedro. They turned inside and they just slipped the ball through to the rampaging, ferocious Costa. Now, you feed it into those players, or William as it is now, and Hazard, and they slip the ball through to the rather effete and artistic Morata. When Essentially, what he wants is people to turn not inside but outside, get to the byline, cross the ball, and then his high-quality headers will get you goals, as it got the opening goal against Tottenham. But no more. Tottenham came back with three. Uh, Neil Barnett, our guest here on the uh, global portion of uh, Soccer City. Conte, the the manager, uh, there is a lot of discussion that this will be Uh, his swan song with the club, and what a dramatic change from a season ago. How much uh, of the responsibility does he bear? Uh, He uh, apparently wanted to bring in uh, some coaches, uh, some new coaches to assist him and was not permitted to. Apparently he doesn't have much say in player acquisition, so so how much can you put this on Conte? Well, he he got his coaches in the end. There's about nine Italian assistants. Um, In fact, 
when Chelsea won the league at West Bromwich Albion last season, there were two groups of people celebrating on the pitch. One was the squad, the playing staff, and one was everybody else, the management staff. And the management staff was bigger than the playing staff. I've never seen anything so extraordinary in my life. So I, he's got no complaints there. He doesn't have a big say on the transfer side, and uh, he, but he is making it unfortunately public, uh, his, his discomfort with that. And the fact is that certain players he did sign off and they haven't necessarily been the most successful. But the fact is this season, none of them have been successful. And, and I think at the end of every transfer window, every supporter has a right to ask the people who are organising their football club, have we improved our starting eleven? I think you can do that from MLS and New York City to Kazakhstan and whatever the best team is in Kazakhstan. Have we improved our starting eleven? And I think over the last two transfer windows, Chelsea haven't. Now, their opponent on Sunday, Neil, uh, Tottenham, uh, they were criticized roundly for not spending and perhaps not really, whether you look at it, improving their starting eleven or their depth. But here they are on Sunday uh, with a kid, Deli Alley, who wasn't even born the last time Tottenham won at Chelsea, and uh, and with no Harry Kane in the well in the starting eleven. Kane uh, has come back and, and got to play about a half hour uh, in the second half off the uh, ankle injury. But but there you have Tottenham uh, doing it a, a bit of a different way. It seems Tottenham are unique at the moment in the Premier League in that they are developing a side, progressing through the through the stages of maturity to try and make it a seriously European campaigning team. To be honest, I hope they succeed because nobody else is doing it this way and because it, it's a, a plan of hard work and time rather than spending big and immediate gratification. The problem with it is twofold. The first is that at the beginning of every new end of transfer window, you're asking, have you improved your starting 11? And mostly they haven't. And the second problem is that as these players develop from potential to fulfilled, then their salaries have to reflect that because they're playing in the Premier League and they're playing for the top honours. And if Tottenham aren't willing to pay the top Premier League salaries, then they'll lose these players as they get better. Now, that's already started. Carl Walker left for Manchester City. Well, Neil, it's uh, been delightful listening to the stories and having you share, uh, in particular, uh, some of your experiences with the uh, Chelsea Football Club. I, I do appreciate your time coming on Soccer City. Neil Barnett, a longtime pitchside stadium announcer for Chelsea Football Club, also the current host of The Football Show on Sirius XMFC. Thanks, Neil. While Zlatan Ibrahimovic was creating headlines and new hashtags after his amazing debut with the LA Galaxy on Saturday, one of his Swedish mates provided his own spectacular moment in San Jose just a few hours later. Anton Tinnerholm, returning from an ankle injury that had held him out for a couple of matches for New York City FC, scored on a full volley from a Maxi Morales corner kick just four minutes into the second half. That leveled the score at Avaya Stadium. New York City completing the rally when Morales finished his third goal of the season, the final 2-1. to one. New York City FC head coach Patrick Vieira and City undefeated through five matches and atop the MLS standings. 
Vieira told Soccer City afterward that the strike by Tinnerholm says a lot about the player. I think the way that he struck the ball shows his, his personality. What I mean is that he just strike it. If he go in, it's fantastic. If he doesn't go in, at least he try. That is what I like about him. He's, um, he's a positive guy and he just go for it. So Tinnerholm's Galazzo, right-footed, Pair that with the left-footed volley he scored at Yankee Stadium against the Galaxy in Week 2. Not something he expected, but Saturday's strike at San Jose was part of the plan. Uh, we talked about it in, in the halftime, actually. Uh, we, we said that uh, Saad's going to have a, have a block on, on uh, their, their guy. We tried it in the first half as well. But, uh, yeah, the ball come, come uh, good to me, and uh, I got, got a great hit uh, again. I haven't scored any, any goals like this in... Uh, in 25 years, so so, but uh, now uh, it's a new tradition has started. So I was inspired by by Slatan uh, earlier this day. So I I don't want to get worse than, than him. So I think my goal was harder. So yeah, that's how we do it in Sweden. Tinnerholm transferred to New York City from Malmo in Sweden. That was the first club that signed Zlatan Ibrahimovic, whose two late second half goals brought the Galaxy back from a three to nothing deficit against their new rivals, LAFC. Ibra, living up to the hype. Uh, who will forget when he took out the full-page ad in the LA Times with the only words, you're welcome. Vieira was teammates with Ibra, both at Juventus and Inter Milan, and said he's a lovely character who is often misunderstood. I think he explained it quite well on his press conference when he said it's not about arrogance, it's just about confidence and belief on, on himself. And I think uh, he's uh, have a really big expectation on himself. He's really demanding to himself. And uh, and when you look at uh, all the career, all the teams that he played for, all the coaches that he played under, he always deliver, always scoring goals. So I think he's not going to change. I think he will score goals for LA. Well, a pair of goals for Ibra in his Galaxy debut. A prolific goal scorer in his MLS career, former member of the U.S. men's national team, current analyst for ESPN. He was on the New York City FC San Jose Earthquakes match on Saturday. And we also need to get his reaction to Ibra Kadabra in Los Angeles on Saturday. And I'm happy to welcome into the program Soccer City, Taylor Twelman. Taylor, what's happening? Not much. How are you, buddy? All right, man. The the first guy I want to talk about is Anton Tinnerholm and that equalizing goal he scored. And something Patrick Vieira said uh, after the game, and we heard it a, a little bit earlier here, about the fact that it kind of uh, defines his personality, this Tinnerholm, going after his opportunity, no fear of failure. New York City seems to have a good one there. Yeah, I think that was one of the... Um... You know, those pickups that don't are transactions that don't get enough credit or notoriety or love ink, uh, however you want to phrase it, he's one of those players that is going to help this team immensely. I, You know, if you look at the right-back position since New York City's been in Major League Soccer, it's always been one of that, for lack of a better term, trouble spots. You know, it's always been a position where it's been a player that's in and out of the lineup and even though Saturday night in San Jose he started at left back where he scored his goal was in the right back off a set piece in that kind of spot so I like him I think he helps his team immensely and I think if Matarita gets healthy and takes over that left back spot over Ben Sweat then you're you're arguing this may be the best two fullbacks in the league 
regarding the goal, Taylor, off the corner kick, and I want to get your uh, your uh, impression of this and what you really think because we see it week in and week out uh, at all levels. Halftime discussion, uh, Tinner Holmes says that Saad Abdul Salam blocked a player to free me up for the attempt. Now, FIFA laws of the game, picks are not allowed, right? No, but on, uh, ironically, it wasn't Salam. It was actually Angel Herrera and uh, Kayans. What's interesting about the play to me is, listen, he, he, picks are always going to happen, but it's how you sell the pick. If you're moving and acting as if you're being proactive and trying to find space in the 18, the referee subjectively is going to have a very difficult time of determining whether or not that's a pick. On that particular play, that was a pick. Herrera falls down, so it looks like the San Jose player runs through, but Shea Salinas immediately afterwards, he's arguing with the referee that he couldn't get anywhere. I, I don't know. I, honestly, Glenn, I, with the way I've looked at it is, you got to be. That's part of set pieces. You've got to be stronger. You've got to win your one-on-one matchups. There's a real simple way to stop the set piece that New York City did. If you put a player inside the D, they can't play that. They they can't even look at that play. So often when you're watching around the world, you'll see an an opposing player, defending player that's free standing in the D. Usually uh, the player that's good for the counter going the other way. That's why you do that. So I want to refer back to uh, just before the start of the season, uh, Jesse Marsh, the Red Bulls coach, talked about uh, it's a vital time in America in terms of development. Jesse Marsh believes that it's an MLS coach's responsibility get, to get the young Americans, the teenage Americans and, and the guys in the young 20s into the lineup. You've got to give them time. So I asked Patrick Vieira about that, and his counter was he feels that it's up to the Federation to come up with a better development plan so by the time they are 17 that they are ready to go, that they need to earn their spot. I'm not just going to play a kid because he's an American. And he, and he made the example of James Sands, who uh, if I went up to James and said, hey, James, you're American. I'm going to get you in today. He doesn't want that. He wants to earn it. What do you think? I think they're both spot on, and they both can be right. And the listeners at home are going to think I'm uh, I'm copping out because I don't want to take a side, but the reality is Jesse Marsh is 100% correct that this league was founded for what reason? To give the American player and the U.S. men's national team an opportunity to succeed. So if the domestic league doesn't believe and doesn't give the American player the opportunity, then what's the point? But Patrick hits the nail on the head. And this is where the, the, the crux of the problem right now for developing American players is the rest of the world is playing chess and the American national team is playing checkers from ages 17 to 21. What does the Federation have right now for developing players from 17 to 21? Because you don't want to just throw James Sands in there for the sake because he is American. You can train with David Villa all you want. You have to have games. You have to have real-life opportunities. This is the crux of the conversation in the country. And if it's not, then we're not doing anything. Then, then we haven't changed. Then we haven't taken the warning by not qualifying for the World Cup in 18 and done something with that. But they're both right. And anyone that says one's wrong and one's right and vice versa you're actually not looking at the big picture. Well, let's look at the picture in Los Angeles over the weekend. I, I mean, Taylor, you've been involved in the league as a player and as an analyst uh, nearly from the outset. 
there were there are a lot of people who are in your uh, similar position that have called that game the greatest game in the history of MLS. Uh, Ebro with a couple of goals to uh, secure a win. Galaxy down 3-0. They win 4-3. I love the guy. I don't know how you feel about him, but uh, I I grabbed the television and was pumping my fist. I was in a hotel getting ready to broadcast the New York City game. And I, I, I do think it was one of the great moments. How about you? Yeah, I, I mean, it's the, for me, in the, what, 22, 23 years that this league has been talked about and at the forefront, you're talking about top three moments in league history. Uh, the the script, the way it played out, uh, the way Bob Bradley had LAFC completely play the Galaxy off the field in the first 55, 60 minutes, uh, and then to have that happen. I joked after the game, and, and on Sunday, and I tweeted it, like it felt like the Easter Bunny came 24 hours too soon, and it was like an April Fool's joke. Because you, you really, when you watch the highlights again, you're like, that didn't, did that really happen? Well, a lot of people around here uh, awaiting May 5th when uh, New York City FC uh, will play the Red Bulls in the Hudson. On my schedule, I'm calling that game, uh, right, man. I, I was going to ask, is that an ESPN or all right? So. Yep, that's my, I, I'll, I'll be there May 2nd and just start, you know, stirring the pot a little bit. <laughs> well, Taylor Twelman, I want to thank you so much. The current analyst on uh, ESPN, former MLS and U.S. Men's National Team star. Uh, great to have you on with us. Thanks, Taylor. Good talking to you, buddy. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Soccer City. Heard every Tuesday, 1 o'clock, at the home of New York City FC Soccer, WNYE New York. And if you missed any portion of the program, it's available on the TuneIn app. I'm Glenn Crooks. Have a great day, everybody.